Who slept great? Okay, a good number of people. That's good. Props to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray one more time, and then we're going to be in Mark 10 in just a few minutes, so you're welcome to turn there in your Bibles as well. Let me pray. Father, even calling you Father is a little insight into the, the, your delight for, for kids, for children, that you yourself would be known to us as Father and would call us your children. And so it's a marvelous thing, a wonderful thing as we turn our attention to children that we do so as children. And that the little ones who are going down to the playground right now are not in a separate category from us, ultimately, but are children along, alongside us as your children. And so we pray for your help now. We know that you have the biggest of hearts for kids. And we want to have the same Jesus, teach us what it is, what, what was inside of you when you knelt down and welcomed the children to come to you. Give us that heart. Give us that posture. Make our church increasingly pro-child. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, Mark 10, as I mentioned, will be there in just a minute. But before we get there, I want to start with a little guessing game. At this moment in the life of All People's Church, we have about 85 adult members. Does anyone want to guess how many kids we have of members? I, 30, anyone else? Elise? 63? Okay, we don't need to guess anymore. 63, you nailed it, Elise. Yes. <laughs> That's, yeah, so double yours, I, <laughs> that's, uh, if my counting is correct, that's what I came up with, 63. And now, does anyone want to guess what the average age of those kids is? Three, two, 2.25, three. Yeah, you're all pretty close. It's 3.9, Okay few older kids, you know, skewing it upward, but we can just round it up to four. The average, if you're just to, you know, pick one of the kids at All People's Church, one of the 63, <laughs> and that's not to mention the babies in the womb. There are probably, you know, a dozen or so of those, but um, <laughs> just to pick one, you're going to pick a four-year-old, probably, three-year-old, four-year-old, right around there. We're, we're a young church filled with families of young kids. Not only young kids, but a lot of young kids. <laughs> Which means that God has given our church an incredible gift and an incredible stewardship. But in the rush and in the chaos <laughs> of the little years with kids, it is not always easy to see those knee-high among us as gift and as stewardship, at least if you're anything like me, because kids, for all of the most precious moments, like 
laying your hands on their shoulders and singing the blessing over them. They're also, they're also needy <laughs> and messy and sometimes just plain crazy. I don't know why, but they sometimes streak yogurt through their hair. <laughs> they go through three outfits in one afternoon at family camp, four, I don't know, what's the record here? Probably more than that. They wake up when you want them to fall asleep. They fall asleep when you want them to stay awake. They disrupt discussions in our DNAs and MCs on the reg. They make Sunday mornings far more complicated than they would be otherwise. And in moments like these and a couple thousand others, it can be more difficult to see kids as the stewardship, as the gift that they are easier in those moments to see what's rising out of us. Just I'm relating to kids as an inconvenience, as a distraction. In other words, it can be hard to see our kids in many moments as God himself calls us to see them. And here's the thing. If we don't see our kids, the kids among us, as God calls us to see them, then inevitably we won't treat them as God calls us to treat them. If we don't see you rightly, I'm not going to treat you rightly. If I don't see who you really are. And that's the simple two-part structure of the talk this morning. We're just going to look at how do we see children and therefore how do we treat children. And when I say we... I really do mean we. This talk about children is not just for parents. And even for those of us who are parents, it's not just for how you see and treat your own kids. Because as members of APC, (laughs) when you agree to become a member of APC, you basically agree to be surrounded by kids a lot of the time, even if you have no kids of your own. And so this message is about how all of us see them and therefore how all of us treat them. Because we live in a world that is increasingly, it sees children increasingly as burden rather than blessing. People having fewer kids than ever. I want our church to be deeply and unashamedly pro-kid, pro-child. And by God's grace, I think we are. Like that, while I was working on this message, <laughs> trying to think of ways to encourage, challenge, exhort us, I'm just looking around and astonished at the grace of God in this church for how we love kids, how we care for kids, the priority that we give to kids. It's just the number 63. They're actually catching up to us. (laughs) So this is going to be in large part a, a joyful message of excel still more. I know that we need help sometimes, though. I need help sometimes to see the kids as they really are. And so. That's what this is about. So with that, let's consider a familiar passage, Mark 10, 13 to 16. I'm going to read it. You can follow along. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands upon them. 
We're not going to unpack this passage in full, but I want to begin here. One, just to show that we're not the first ones to fail to see children as we ought to see them. The disciples did too. And therefore, they didn't treat them accordingly. They probably saw them as an interruption, as a distraction in this moment. And so they said, not now, kids. The master has business to attend to. And then second, we see that Jesus saw the kids far differently than the disciples did, than we often do. And really, you know, sometimes when I'm orienting people to the kids ministry, it's just a marvel to me to be able to say to them, you know what? Our model for kids ministry is just Jesus. He is it. And you can just expand that beyond Sunday school, beyond any program that you do. If you just want a model for how to be a Christian around kids, it's this man right here who on his way to save the world paused and knelt down to the height of little children and gathered them up in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them when everyone expected him not to do that. So here's our question. How did Jesus see kids? Because that's how we're going to grow toward treating Jesus like he treated them here. And I want to just walk us through three biblical lenses that would have shaped Jesus's own vision for kids. We're going to look at children through the lens of creation, through the lens of redemption, and then through the lens of Christ. So first, children in creation. I want you to think about this in the beginning when God made this, this whole world, he decided also to make kids. And he didn't have to. <laughs> he showed us that he didn't have to. The first people who came into this world were never kids. They came in as adults. He could have done that over and over and over. This is an adult world. Instead, God decided that kids were a really good idea. So he made infant skin and two-year-old giggles. He made the, the humor of toddlers and the ache to play pretend. He made them to do what they're doing right now, to play and to run and what they'll do at lunch, to spread food on their faces and to say things in serious moments that just make you crack up despite yourself. The other day, we were just in a serious moment. Levi said, Dada, I love you, but I love Mama better. <laughs> And every one of our 63 kids at APC was knit together by God, fearfully and wonderfully made. So even though some of us here may not consider ourselves just by disposition kid people, I'm growing into that. God is a kid person. They are his idea. They are his creation, the work of his own hands. Therefore, God delights in children. He just delights in them. And he not only delights in them, but he dignifies them. In the beginning, he not only made children, but he stamped them with his own image. And then he filled them with a soul that is going to live forever. Kids, as well as adults, bear the image of God. Kids, as well as adults, have something inside of them that's going to be around forever. I read an article one time from a mom who talked about this catechism question that always reframed her vision of her children, especially in hard moments. The question was, do you have a soul as well as a body? So she'd ask her kids this. Do you have a soul as well as a body? And the little toddler voice would come back. Yes. And my soul will live forever. Whoa. (laughs) 
That is who we're dealing with when we deal with kids. That kind of dignity, that kind of value that God has placed upon it. So no wonder throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you just see God showing a particular care for kids. He calls himself the father, not only the father of his people, but the father of the fatherless. When a kid doesn't have a mom or a dad, he he makes their welfare his own special concern. He abominates the mistreatment of children. And he sends his prophets to denounce it in the strongest of terms. And one of my favorite things is how he sometimes uses kids as an image of what life with him is just supposed to be like. So in in Zechariah, the prophet, chapter 8, he is promising that one day he's going to restore his people. And one of the images he gives for what that restoration is going to look like is that the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing. You want to know what restoration looks like? I hope this afternoon as you hear and see the kids running and laughing and playing, you just catch a little glimpse of the goodness of God and what life under him is supposed to be like before they start, you know, fighting and stuff. Just just the other stuff. That's what that's a little glimpse of what he made the world to be like. That kind of security, that kind of playfulness, that kind of laughter, a world where kids are safe and happy. So here's one thing Jesus saw as he looked at the children. Children are wonders of God's creation endowed with tremendous dignity. And so he said, let the kids come. Lens two is redemption. Have you ever noticed throughout the story of scripture just how often there's a story about a kid being born? Often with a mom who wasn't able to have a kid. You know, someone like Sarah or Rachel or Hannah or Elizabeth. But at these great turning points, often in the most important moments, one of the things that's happening is that a mom's giving birth to a child. And then you'll also notice, as you go through the Old Testament especially, New Testament too, that God's people were just meticulous in tracing the genealogies of their people, the transmission from one generation to the next. Why is that? Why such a focus throughout the Old Testament especially on the birth of children and on generational legacies. One of the main reasons is because in the very beginning, God promised to defeat sin and Satan through a child. Genesis 3.15, God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From that moment on, the hope of God's people was wrapped up in a godly offspring. Godly offspring in general, but one godly child in particular who would come to crush the serpent's head. And so when faithful Jews looked at their children, they saw them as bearers of the the promise of God. Children would carry on that promise until the much-awaited son came. So they paid a lot of attention to generational legacy. They cared a lot about raising up their children in the Lord. We heard the Deuteronomy 6 was woven right in the center of that key passage is teach this stuff diligently to your children because the advancement of God's kingdom rested on the raising of faithful sons and daughters who would keep on the promise and make way for the promised son. Now we live in a different era of redemptive history, don't 
Because the chosen son, the promised son, has already come. He's already crushed the serpent's head. And now God's people are not defined by biological descent as Israel was, but by spiritual descent. So the question is, what role do our children play in God's redemption, God's ongoing redemption today? This is a big question, one that could spend a lot of time on, just a couple simple things. On the one hand, we can totally say that the Great Commission is bigger than our families. Jesus didn't say to go, therefore, and make disciples of your children. It's implied in what he said, but it was a lot bigger than that. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So we need to beware, on the one hand, of neglecting our neighbors and the nations as we focus on loving and raising up our children. On the other hand, making disciples of our children is perhaps the most immediate way, especially the parents among us, fulfill Jesus's command. And more than that, the apostles throughout the New Testament urge parents to raise up your children, train them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. That central call from the Old Testament is right there in the New. You can see both burdens woven together throughout the New Testament. For example, in a book like 2 Timothy, on the one hand, there's this famous verse or one that's well known where Paul commands Timothy to entrust the gospel to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's an example of a spiritual legacy not connected to biological family. Find a spiritual heir, pass on the gospel and make sure that he then does it, she then does it to others. Now, the very next chapter, Paul celebrates the fact that Timothy himself received the gospel from his mom (laughs) and from his grandma. That's an example of a spiritual legacy funneled through biological family. In other words, we don't need to choose between spiritual children and biological children. We can't choose. Both matter. Both are crucial in this era of redemptive history to moving the promise of God's redemption forward. We need to help our neighbors and the nations become children of God, which is going to require some push and pull on the family front. Just figuring out how does this look? And we need to help our children become children of God. And ideally, as time goes on, we'll find creative ways to merge those two burdens, such that we're discipling our kids as we make disciples of others. That's a point for another message. The point here for this message is that the 63 children of All People's Church have a massive part to play in God's ongoing redemption. They are not a priority alongside the mission of what we're doing. They are part of the mission that God has given to us. And I know that kids can sometimes make the parents among us feel just like they aren't able to give themselves to the more outward evangelistic kinds of things that sometimes we do as a church. I remember when we would often go out to do evangelistic nights as the Powderhorn MC. Uh, Oftentimes moms needed to stay back. They're caring for their kids. But when they stayed home from that outward mission, they did not stay home from the mission. It was just a different part of the mission. In the language of Psalm 127, each of our kids is an arrow. And our job right now is to so sharpen them under God such that they fly straight and do great damage to the kingdom of darkness. And so in the years ahead, evangelistic fruitfulness at APC, it would just look like this beautiful mix of our baptismal being full of neighbors 
and being full of kids of this church who have grown up to embrace and follow Christ for themselves. That's what it would look like. There's a tension there for sure, but it's not one to choose one or the other two. We're going to find creative ways. We're going to labor. We're going to help each other. We're going to ask, how do we do this? How do we care for our kids while also loving our neighbors? Like, that's right. We should live there. That's where we are in redemptive history right now. So Jesus saw this as he looked at children. He saw that they are agents of God's redemption endowed with tremendous purpose. And so he said, let him come to me. And that leads us to lens number three, children in Christ, which is a little different from what we've been talking about, children in redemption. Return to Mark 10. If you pay attention to what Jesus says here, you'll notice that he sees children not only endowed with tremendous dignity because of creation, not only endowed with tremendous purpose because of redemption, but endowed with a tremendous lesson. Verses 14 and 15, look along. He says this, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We have heard these words probably, many of us, a lot of times before. It can be hard to feel what the disciples would have felt. They had not heard this before. They no doubt cared for children. They were Jews. Had a high value upon children. No one had told them they needed to become like children. Much less that becoming like children, receiving the kingdom like a child, that's what you needed to do in order to enter it. But when Jesus saw kids, he saw something that captured the spirit of those who belong to the kingdom of God. What was it? What connected kids so closely to the kingdom in Jesus's mind? People have put forward a lot of answers to that question, but I find one commentator's answer particularly persuasive. So this is D.A. Carson. You can listen along. Here's what he says. The child is held up as an ideal, not of innocence or purity or faith, but of humility and unconcern for social status which matches what Jesus says in Matthew 18, where we read this, whoever humbles himself like this little child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility and unconcerned for social status. Kids are lowly. Kids are needy in this world. They don't have it all together and they don't pretend to have it all together. They don't hesitate to cry out for help or to lift their arms when they wanna be carried. They don't try to keep up appearances or pretend that they're not as needy as they really are. And therefore, children are representative of the very people that Jesus came to save. He came for the insufficient and the poor in spirit. He came for people whose spiritual posture looks something like a child on his knees just lifting up to mommy and dad and needing help. He came for the tax collector who beat his breast for the woman who wept on Christ's feet because she knew she had nothing else to offer. People who feel themselves to be as lowly and as needy as a child and they just don't care, who knows? That's who Jesus came to save. And therefore kids are a little image of the kingdom. So here's the third thing that Jesus saw as he looked at children. Children are images of God's kingdom endowed with a tremendous lesson for us adults. And so he said, let the children come to me. So 
Now, before we turn to how we should then treat children, just summarize what we've seen here about children through these three lenses. First, children are wonders of God's creation endowed with tremendous dignity. Second, children are agents of God's redemption endowed with tremendous purpose. Third, children are images of God's kingdom endowed with a tremendous lesson. So if we see children in that way, through those three lenses, then how will we treat them? And I want to walk back now through each of those three lenses and just make some applications to us as a church. And many of them are just going to be focused on our community broadly, again, rather than to parents in particular. This first one is more parents, but we'll get beyond that. First, how will we treat children if we see them as wonders of God's creation? If we see them through the creation lens and see them as endowed with great dignity. One, our families and our church would gladly welcome the presence of many children. <laughs> you might say, I don't know if we need to hear that because we're doing pretty well there. And I agree, that's true. But we probably need help remembering that, especially for those of us in this room who are getting to the three and four range of, you know, having that, that many kids and who want more kids than that. You're not crazy. <laughs> Your hands are full of blessing. Welcoming the presence of children would mean in part that some of us keep having kids as God allows. And that others of us would seek to foster and adopt kids. To show not only the fatherhood of God, but that he is father of the fatherless. As the pastor overseeing the kids ministry, I say that with a little bit of trembling <laughs> because we don't need more kids in those classrooms right now. But still, I say it because this is just who God is. He delights. He wants the children to come and surely he would want more kids to come. Now, I'm not saying, hear me carefully, that, that couples should have as many kids as possible. Real life is more complicated than that. On the one hand, for starters, some would love to have kids or to have more kids. And God just hasn't allowed it yet. For others, adding children into the family with just more children would add an intolerable burden onto life. That's something to work out in the wisdom of community. But the more that our hearts are shaped by God's own heart for kids, the more that we're going to lean in the direction of at least feeling we would love more. We would love more. So for those who are uh, you know, getting upward in the numbers. Remember this. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. They don't always feel like it. That is what they are. So that's one application of seeing kids through the lens of creation. But here's another. And in some ways, it's more foundational than the first one, because the thing is, you can have a lot of kids as a family. You can have a lot of children in your midst as a church. That doesn't mean you have the heart of Jesus for kids. The Christian posture towards children goes far deeper than have lots of them. So what would it mean to love kids, treat kids that we have in our midst as creations of God? And it would mean this for one thing that we see particularly in Jesus in this passage. It would mean that as a community, we give to kids regularly, are generous, are patient, and are attentive presence. Our generous presence, not our stingy presence. Our patient, not prickly presence. 
our attentive, not distracted presence. Isn't this what happens in Mark 10? Surely the disciples just thought that the kids weren't worth Jesus's time. Not right now, not in this way. And I can sympathize with that because if anybody in this world had a reason to shuffle past the children in the name of higher priorities, it was Jesus. Nobody had a loftier mission. Nobody's time was more valuable than the son of God's. Yet nobody gave his priorities and his attention so generously than Jesus did when no one else expected him to do so. In fact, one commentator notes how Jesus actually goes above and beyond what the parents ask him to do here. If you look at verse 13, the parents are asking him to just, just would you touch our kids? Jesus takes them up in his arms and he lays a blessing on their little heads. This was no cursory glance. This was no, you know, distracted, just, okay, yeah, yeah, kids, kids, okay. This was a man who met children at eye level and gave them the gift of his presence. He gave more than they were looking for. And he did so in an inconvenient moment. He didn't plan for this right now. They were going somewhere else, doing something else when the kids came to him. Jesus lived a life that was interruptible enough to love kids, which is what life has to be if we're going to love kids. So here's a question for us all, parents or not. When are you most prone to be bothered by the interruptions of children? And I'm just thinking when, you know, you can get out of your mind for a minute when kids are disobeying or that kind of thing. But just when kids are being kids, when are you most prone to be bothered, most frustrated? When their little voices are distracting from (laughs) the Lord's Supper devotion at the end of the gathering? When their needs interrupt your MC or DNA, when they wake up way too early in the morning after you've had a terrible night of sleep at family camp, it's hypothetical. (laughs) When you're trying to cook something or read something or watch something or get something done, it's right to fight for focus. We got to do that. We got to get stuff done. It's right to teach children not to interrupt when they shouldn't. But kids are going to be kids. And welcoming kids into the presence of this community means welcoming distraction. It means welcoming interruption. It means welcoming situations like the one we're reading about where we're going somewhere else, doing something else, and the kids come. What would it look like to sacrifice our little plans with a patient heart and to be as interruptible as Jesus was? That kind of community is a pro-child community. Not simply because there's a lot of kids, but because we welcome all that the presence of kids means for a community. And I see this so beautifully in this church from both parents and singles. So many of you faces that I see right now inspire me to be a better dad, both when I see you interact with your own kids and when I see you interact with my kids. Sometimes I look at you interact with my kids, I'm like, I want to do that. I want to do that better for Levi, for Jesse. And so I just want to say, God has given you so so many of you eyes to see the children are amidst. Don't stop seeing them. Don't grow weary of it. There are more kids coming. We're going to need more people to give more eyes, more attention, get down on more knees to welcome more kids and lay little blessings on their heads. So if Jesus on his mission to do the most important thing could linger with the little children, surely we can pause our own important tasks to do the same. Let's move on to the second sphere. The first focused on creation. Now, what about redemption? How are we going to treat kids if we see them 
as agents of God's redemption endowed with a tremendous purpose. Well, we're going to see them as an integral part to our mission, as I said before. Not only a priority alongside what we're trying to do in making disciples, but part of that very mission. As we talk about evangelism in our MCs, we're not going to lose sight of the fact that in our midst are already 63 little souls who have not yet trusted in Jesus or whose faith in Jesus is still young and fragile. They're right there. They're walking among us. We're not going to forget that. And we're going to aim to approach them like Jesus in this passage, who not only gave the kids his attention, but do you see that? He took them in his arms and he blessed them. In the presence of his father, he, he, he prayed for these kids. He planted a spiritual seed that may not bear fruit for many years, if not decades. He, that's what loving kids like this calls for. The fruit is slow. The vision is long. We're willing to look in the faces of children and see future adults and potential disciples. And we count it well worth our time to plant those spiritual seeds that we're not going to see bear fruit for a long time. Now, Sam last night talked a lot so well about how we as parents imitate God, image God, love our children in Christ. I want to focus just briefly here on how we love other people's children in Christ in this church. Because the calling that God has given us, as Ian shared last night too, I love that word, it is so much bigger than any one couple can handle. Our kids need to see more examples of godliness than mom and dad. They need to see more mature dimensions of Christ-likeness than what Bethany and I are able to show our sons. You all have stuff that you can show them, ways you reveal Jesus that they need to see that we're not as good at showing. And I'm not trying to downplay the importance, the primary role that biological parents have for their kids that's clear in scripture their role is primary but many of us just need the regular reminder that our kids so many of them are going to follow jesus not only because they see mom and dad doing so but because they see up close other adults doing so other adults who have not only in the midst followed jesus but have in a particular way befriended these kids and brought them alongside and love them really well. And that is especially true as our children get older. Especially true as their children get older. I read a study recently, just it tracked the experiences of teens in churches. If you wanna know the number one thing that made these kids feel welcome and valued in the community, it wasn't a youth group, as helpful as that can be. It wasn't any single program or event. It was simply the effort of adults getting to know them. Adults making the effort to get to know the, the teens, preteens, teens in the church was the single biggest thing that made them feel like I'm part of this. <laughs> and I'm about to embarrass a few people, I think, but just last summer in RMC, the MC formerly known as Powderhorn, reconvened for MC Olympics and currently tied for first place. <laughs> we, had, we had a frank discussion in our group about how we needed a reorientation toward the preteens and teens. Because up to then, we hadn't done an awesome job of seeing them and of welcoming them and of pursuing their spiritual good. And in response to that discussion, I think that God did do, start to do something in our group. Not perfectly, but it was, it was different. Some sweet things happened. And in particular, um, Wilsonique and Lizzie and Andy just took some remarkable steps toward befriending the preteens and teens in our group. And it's been beautiful to watch. 
So they're friends with these kids right now. They interact with them a bunch informally, but they also do this monthly thing where they get together and just have fun, hang out, and talk about Jesus with them. Pray for that. Um, Encourage them in that. And I don't want to overwhelm anybody, but average age of kids right now, four, you just think 10 years from now. (laughs) We're going to need a lot more of that, of people who are just going to give the time and energy to befriend kids like that. So... How might we all as a church take up this kind of redemptive purpose, redemptive orientation toward other people's kids in our midst? Just a couple quick questions here. When you pray for the people in our church, do you also pray for their children by name? Even though you're probably not going to see the answer to that prayer for a while. Families, do you invite singles close enough? Do you host them regularly enough so they can have a meaningful influence on your kids? Singles, do you have a vision not only for how you might come around a family in this church to be a practical help, but how you might befriend their kids and model for them Christ-likeness? And for all of us on MC nights and on Sunday mornings, do we just have a posture where we want to play with the kids? We want to spend some meaningful time talking with them? So that's lens two. And then just really briefly in closing here, I want to consider our third sphere of application. We've considered how to treat kids as wonders of creation, as agents of redemption, how are we going to treat them if we see them also as images of God's kingdom (laughs) who are endowed with a tremendous lesson? And the short answer to that is we're going to love kids as fellow children ourselves. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus addresses his disciples. He says, little children, You who once stiff-armed the little kids, I'm calling you little kids, little children. In fact, in the, in the, first, uh, in the letter of 1 John, seven times he has addressed the church, little children, little children, little children, little children. Do you see yourself that way before God? It's true, as Sam said last night, that fathers and mothers are meant to image God to their kids. Kids are also meant in many ways to image us to ourselves. Every child is a little mirror because when they make a mess of themselves and can't clean themselves up, it's a reminder that we make a mess of ourselves and only Jesus can clean us up. When they cry out in desperate need and cannot do a thing to help themselves, it's a reminder that that's how God invites us to cry out to him in desperate need, trusting we can't do a thing to help ourselves spiritually, ultimately. When they get into something way over their heads and they're not putting up appearances, pretending like, oh, no, I got this. When they're just saying, I need help. It's an invitation to us to be that way toward each other and to be that way toward God and to see in Jesus an almighty and a willing helper who welcomes kids like that to come. So if we find ourselves treating children more like the disciples did than Jesus did, it's because we've stopped seeing ourselves as children. We've become too big. We have outgrown grace. But if we see ourselves as a church of little children before our God, then we're going to feel at home. We're going to feel really at home among little ones. It's going to be easy to get down on a knee and give them attention. It's going to feel awesome to become their friends and teach them about Jesus. And even in the hardest moments, we're going to want to reflect the heart of our Lord who said, let him come. Let the children come. Let me pray.
Father, thank you. This is who you are. In a world, so many cultures in this world, every single culture in this world, this is countercultural in some way. This kind of care for kids, this kind of priority on children, this kind of love for kids. We thank you. We thank you that you are not a God who blesses the mighty in themselves, those who are great in this world, but Jesus came for little children, for those who receive the kingdom like children. So, Father, would you help us, parents, singles, couples without children, would this be a church that is deeply and unashamedly pro-child? Would you give us eyes to see the kids as you see them? Would you give us a heart to treat them as you treat them? in the next five minutes or whatever we go get our kids this afternoon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, guys, we want to spend a few minutes here having some response time. And we did this last night. It was on um, mothers and fathers. So we had uh, marriages go off and kind of talk. And I, this time I want to do a little different. I want to just... Um, invite you to break up into groups of like three to five, okay? I just want to spend 10 or 15 minutes. You can, you can break up in this room. You can go out in the lobby. You can go downstairs if you want um, or on a walk. But I want to ask, I want you guys to be thinking about the question. We live in a society, in a world where kids are seen as, I think, with less dignity and with less purpose and with less to teach us. And so Scott teaches, gives us this great word here, but I think some of us probably need to repent too even just of like where we see kids is just an annoyance or where we see them as a problem and i also want to think about how we can care more so this is the practical question how we can care better for the kids in this community and i'm going to broaden it even to outside this community there are a lot of kids outside this community that are not surrounded by people who see them with dignity to understand that god has created them with purpose and that see that in them, God is teaching us lessons. There are kids in your neighborhood that need that so badly. There are kids in our communities all around us that need that. So link arms with some people here. Nobody stands alone here. So make sure to, to gather in people and spread out a little bit. Let's spend 10 or 15 minutes. At 1025, we can go down and get the kids. And then at 1045, we're going to be in the fields across for MC Olympics. Okay, well, Let's spend 10 or 15 minutes in small groups talking through how to love our kids well.